What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Perfectly Blended Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about overcoming addiction and becoming the ultimate husband and father. When's that coming up? Right now. All right. so much for joining us on the perfectly blended podcast this podcast is for blended families for couples that want to strengthen their marriage and want a brighter future perfectly blended exists to break the stigma of divorce drop the shame and guilt holding you back and equip marriages to thrive instead of just survive we believe all that is possible in this life is based on the power of jesus christ and his ability to restore us fully let's dive in what is up? What is up? Welcome to today's show. You have a special treat. Listen, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, that was an amazing, amazing episode. We got to really dive into the past of my beautiful bride, Christy. Yes. We got to do that last week. And so this week, I'm not a beautiful bride, but this week we're actually going to kind of dive in a little bit. My wife gets to, I'm going to move some screens around here so we can see what we're doing. But my wife's going to be able to have an opportunity to kind of Interview me. Not kind of. Oh. I'm going to be interviewing him. Not kind of. Sorry. Sorry, not kind of. <laughs> she is going to be interviewing me. Yeah, so you're in for, hopefully, for a treat. So, uh, you know, really, this is going to be a lot for guys, right? So if there's dads out there, fathers out there, stepdads that are out there, uh, sons that are out there, and you've, you know, have had some struggles in the past, and uh, you're really looking for maybe just a story to resonate with, or, you know, you're just looking to be entertained about... Uh, a story today. Don't be touching stuff with that. See, you can't give her things. You see, she's got my iPad. She pulls out the Apple Pencil. She has no idea how bad that will mess everything up on okay. the screen. All right. She she's gonna mess Don't around touch with it. it. She, you're gonna break it now. It's my turn to. Do I had this. to fix it. It's good now. So, <laughs> it is your turn. But don't be breaking stuff. All right. Don't be breaking stuff. All right. It's your show. Take it over. Oh, are you done? That was very abrupt. You're good. Come on. Do you want to? <gasps> come on now this is Let's not go. a good example of how to become an ultimate husband and father we're just gonna... <laughs> it is the way that's leadership we're just gonna... swim. <laughs> that's true <laughs> seekers win seekers win <laughs> that's right so i do i'm very excited to be able to interview josh so a lot of people don't know uh josh's testimony or story similar to what we talked about last week to where uh, we talk about that we're recovering alcoholics on the podcast. Uh, sometimes, if you haven't, we've mentioned a couple things in Josh's past that, you know, has shaped who he is and what he's, you know, his past. But this gives us the opportunity and you guys the opportunity to really judge him. <laughs> Thank you. That's what this is for, really, just for you to just point fingers and judge me as a person. <laughs> we're going to end the show. <laughs> Not true. Not true. Just but kidding. it is nice because we haven't had an opportunity. We've been doing this for almost three years now, and we haven't had an opportunity really to share about um, what shaped us. Yeah. I mean, you know, so it's really kind of. It's not an easy thing to ever talk about yourself. So it's usually very uncomfortable. It's the last thing you want to do, especially as husband and wife. The last thing we think of is like, ooh, let's talk about ourselves. And so this has really been requested <laughs> and we kind of gave in to it. So yeah, I'm going to ask you all sorts it. of, he, we have some questions here, but I have some really inappropriate questions that I'm going to ask too. So you might want to put headphones in, <laughs> stay away from okay. your children. I'm kidding. <laughs> Are you ready, babe? <laughs> yeah. This show it. is all about you. Oh no, boy. Yeah. I think it's about you. I gotta I gotta I'm face just part of it. I gotta bring my microphone over here a little bit so oh, I can man. face you. Make, serious. make direct direct eye contact <laughs> about it. 
So uh, you've talked a little bit on our show about some things, like brief things um, in your childhood about how, you know, you're the person that you consider your dad, you actually adopted you. But what were some key moments from your childhood that shaped who you are today? So, I mean, you know, I was born in the newly year of 1975 and we, I grew up in, uh, initially I grew up in a city of Pontiac, Michigan. If you don't know too much about Pontiac, Pontiac is not a very wealthy city. I'm not reading the questions, not a very wealthy city, but, uh, I was born. My mom was 17 when she had me, but, uh, I already had a two-year-old sister. So my mom had my sister, Jamie, my older sister, when she was 14 years old. So that was really a shaping thing for us. Actually, it was a shaping thing for us always growing up because it was a child raising children, to be 100% honest with you. And my mom, you know, got into a really unhealthy relationship with the guy that was my dad. Mm -hmm. And my mom's stepdad was, um, you know, a very strong Christian man, uh, but more of the fire and brimstone style. Your and mom's so, stepdad. My mom's stepdad, yeah. And so he... I uh, told my mom since she's, you know, had a baby out of wedlock and then two babies out of wedlock is it's time you need to get married. Like you need to go get married. You need to get married. So when my mom was 17, she actually married my birth father mm. and he was an extreme alcoholic drug addict. Even at his age, he was a few years older than her, but he, uh, you know, he was really abusive in a lot of ways. He was womanizer in a lot of ways. Yeah. That's a Mikey G. Yeah. Yak town stand up. Yeah. See, Mikey G knows all. All about it, Pontiac. But, uh, you know, so in doing that, you know, my mom uh, found herself wanting to get a divorce at even a young age, you mm -hmm. know, 19 years old, and trying to find a replacement father for for the dad that was there, that he was non-existent. So uh, my dad that ended up being my dad, as I, you know, raised by, his name's Bob, ended up raising me. He was- Robert Wayne. R.W. Mm -hmm. He was a lot more high-functioning alcoholic. So he was an alcoholic drug addict that actually went to work and paid his bills. And so that was a huge improvement for my mother. And he was willing to adopt my older sister and I, even at a really young age. And so in doing that, you know, we were really young. And then my, my, my dad uh, got into the trades at a very young age and we moved to Texas. And my parents were early 20s and we were just little guys, little kids. And then my mom and dad actually ended up having- two children uh, together. And so I have two half sisters and then I have one older sister. So I was raised in a household full of girls. And I think a lot of that shaped my, what I believe, you know, uh, was important in life is have, have a, a relationships with women, which ended up being really a skewed view of it because my dad, my, not my birth father, never had a relationship with my birth father, but my adoptive dad uh, had a really crude way of speaking to women and, the things that he would say about women. It was just really like women were treated as objects. Mm -hmm. And so as a male influence, uh, you know, that was kind of the male influence I had. And then my dad was just a worker. He was an alcoholic, became a recovering alcoholic. And then he went on uh, to becoming sober, but then became addicted to working. Mm -hmm. And then he lived at his job. So I didn't really have any male influence in my life. But the little bit that I did have, it was really more about, uh, you know, womanizing and, and treating women as objects and stuff like that. So you would say that the key moments that shaped you from a childhood ex expectation would be um, your mom was young when she had you. This Very, is what I'm gathering. Yeah. What you said. Your mom was really young. She was a kid herself when she had two kids. She had already gotten a divorce by the time you were probably old enough to realize what was going on. You got a new birth father that really uh, worked a lot. Yeah. You know, yeah. and provided you, for our family. Yeah. And you and yeah. you basically were surrounded by women. 
yeah, women. Yep, very young women. I yeah, mean, my mom was a, was a little girl, pretty yeah. much, yeah. trying to raise a boy into a man, and she didn't know how to do that. Okay, she had no clue on how to do that. Yeah, and I didn't know what I didn't know as a kid. I mean, you have a deep understanding now because you were around so many women. But I've, I don't want to jump ahead. From that. Yeah, I've yeah. grown. I've grown a lot over the last forty-seven years of my life. Yeah. So leading into that, though, like you said, that your dad worked a lot, take care of the family. He was mm -hmm. a functioning alcoholic. He's sober now. Yeah, um, he's but, been sober for a long time. Yeah, over 30 years he's been sober. But mm -hmm. um, because you didn't have any male influences in your life, really, he was at work all the time. You had a big turning point at 15 mm -hmm. that happened. Yeah. So this leads right into that. Tell everybody a little bit about what happened when you were 15. Yeah, so because I wanted a, a desperate relationship with my dad, you know, not my birth father. He was never in the picture. So I say dad is the guy that raised me. But I desperately wanted a, a relationship with him. And I remember when we were 15 years old. Uh, my dad asked if I was interested in going hunting with him and my uncles. And I wasn't interested in hunting at all, but I was interested in doing something with my dad. You know, we never have done anything together. He wasn't the guy that would go out into the yard and play catch with you. And he wasn't, you know, he didn't do those things. And so I really looked forward to doing that. So we went on my very first hunting trip. And uh, the second day being out, I got shot. And so uh, when I was 15 years old, I was in a severe hunting accident. I got shot by a 30 6 which actually was my dad's gun, was a faulty rifle and it went off. Uh, penetrated my main artery in my left femur, and uh, I should be dead. I really should be dead. God's God's grace is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And that really changed my outlook. So I was a really shy, withdrawn boy because I didn't understand interactions with males. And as you're growing up, and I'm 15 years old now, it's that's what life is supposed to be about when you're 15, right? You're exploring, trying to understand like how to date and all these things. And I didn't understand any of that stuff. And what, you know, being on the brink of death and, and God really bringing me back, it really opened my eyes and removed my shyness, which ended up being a double-sided, uh, double-sided, a double-edged sword, really, honestly, in that situation. But I became extremely extroverted and extremely social after that. And I found mm -hmm. a whole different side of myself. Mm-hmm. And for those of you that are listening, he's really shorten, shortening down the story because he probably wants to keep to time because he's the timekeeper. But he is taking, like, he did die. He lost a lot of blood. It's a huge, long story. And if we don't have time to share it today, I do think that yeah. we should talk about it um, on another episode because it is, uh, he's skipping right over it. A lot of times, like in the Bible, we skip over the stories and get to the and get to the redemption part of it. And him being shot and everything he had to go through and his family had to go through and all of that is a mm. huge, huge, huge keystone uh, moment in his life to where he did die. He was in the hospital for months as a young kid, had to have his leg completely flayed open um, mm. because of the swelling and had to learn to walk again and almost mm. had to have his leg amputated. It's a huge story. So I didn't know that you were going to shorten it up that much, or I would have made an executive decision before we even started. <laughs> well, I did. I only do that. Our podcast. I start to get, we can go as long as we want. I start to get emotional even thinking about it, even though it's been so long. You know, yeah. it's been, you know, 22 years since I've been shot. But uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, for time reasons, I don't. Yeah. You know, it's a lot. That's Are a you whole. sure that's, that's the only reason? Yeah, that's absolutely okay. the only reason. Yeah. That's a long story. Well, I still get emotional from so, when I was 16 and tried to commit suicide. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I get the emotion. Part no, of but it. I, I, the emotion comes from really being uh, appreciative of what God has done. Yeah. You know, like I don't get me emotional because uh, you don't really realize, you know, at 47 years old, you don't really realize it when you're 15 years old. Like you last week talked about, you know, 
on the verge of committing suicide and really attempting to, to take your own life, we don't, we look back now and we're like, how silly we were and like how small we, we made God or the opportunity of what life can truly give us and offer us. And so I'm really appreciative of God saving me from that because I've been able to come on and, and, and have an amazing marriage and have wonderful children. And I would have missed out on all of these things and not just me missed out on it. You would have missed out on having the greatest husband that's ever lived. <laughs> and my children that's true. would have missed out on having, a, you know, having, having me as their father, you know, and I really look at that and, you know, and I, I just, that gets me emotional even talking about that because, you know, I'm just super grateful, which I know we'll get into more, but I'm just really grateful. Mm -hmm. Very grateful. Yeah. I know you are. Yeah, I am. So your twenties, which I was around for some of it. So <laughs> no snap. Uh, we're quite a wild ride. Mm. So what pushed you to party so much and what ended up coming out of that? Yeah. So the funny thing is omissions is my, are a lie. My dad, let's say my dad was a recovering alcoholic. So I never thought that alcohol was ever going to be a problem for me. Right. So I never thought that you think that you're my dad 10 was foot, an alcoholic too. Yeah. 10 foot tall and it. bulletproof. Right. Yeah. You think, you know what? I can go out and handle this. This is just for fun. Mm -hmm. And I became this extreme extrovert, which in all reality, I, I never healed from any of the stuff that happened to me as a kid. You know, I never grew up. I've never mm -hmm. matured. And so I tried to step into this adult world of going out and having a good time. Mm -hmm. And oh, you had a good time. I I did. I wanted to be all the things, right? All the things that I never thought that I could be. You know, I wanted, you know, to be the man when it came to to all the ladies. I wanted to be the most friendliest, best friend guy to everybody. I wanted to be the manliest man. I wanted to be the strongest. I wanted to be the fastest. I wanted to be able to drink the most. I wanted to be funniest. the funniest guy. Yes, I wanted smartest. to be that. The smartest guy. Yes. And, and then I really felt best like looking. alcohol gave me that is what I really felt yeah. like. And yeah. then I became addicted to what I felt like alcohol was offering me, which really stole away a decade of my life. Yeah. You know, of all the things that I was chasing, I was truly chasing something that uh, only, you know, was a hole in my heart that only God could fulfill. Mm -hmm. And I was chasing it to the end of a bottle where I thought that it was. And mm -hmm. even though I would go through and have all of these, you know, female relationships one after another, and I had all these friends and everybody thought I was funny and people would tell me that I was good looking and all these things, it was never enough. Mm -hmm. And so I needed to drink more and more and more, which ultimately led to me, you know, getting, you know, hooking up with a girl in the bar, uh, going to Vegas, getting married, believe it or not. That's, that's a long story on its own. I ended up having, that's not me. That's not her. That was my first marriage. <laughs> no, uh, this girl's never even been to Vegas. Okay. Let's just be clear about that. She's not that <laughs> no. kind of girl. Thank you, Lord. And, but I ended up, you know, my son came from that relationship, which was the best blessing of all, yeah. but she also was an alcoholic. She's a drug addict still today. And, uh, you know, I ended up getting into this toxic relationship with this, this woman that the only thing we had in common was partying mm -hmm. and, you know, tried to make a life out of that, which I couldn't. It, infidelity ended up just being massively sprinkled through all throughout this five years, four years of marriage that I had with this woman and uh, trying to raise children the best way that I know how as a boy. Mm -hmm. And never getting any healing from my past, but still continue to pour alcohol in it and work more. And I ended up getting a drunk driving, ended up getting divorced. You know, um, I had to go back to court and fight to have, you know, some form of custody for my kids. But, you know, it just really led me down a very dark, being evicted, had to move back home with my parents at 30 years old and live in my old bedroom. And I would sneak booze in there and drink. And um, I was just in the worst possible way that I ever could be in my life. My 20s were rough. Yeah. I know. I was there for some of it um, when, 
you and I first met. But what a lot of people don't know about Josh is, and he's talked about it on our podcast before, he's like, you know, I take being a husband to my wife talking about me now um, very seriously. I study her. I want to be the best for her, all this stuff. It's not just me he's done that with. So yeah, alcohol was involved in your 20s. But you having a hole in your heart, wanting to be the best at everything, mm -hmm. you ended up being the best or close to the best in your circle at everything because you study people. You yeah. wanted to be the person that could get the most girls and you figured out how to do that. You yeah. wanted to be the funniest person and you figured out how to do that, which you could look at that as a negative or a positive, but it's a positive attribute of you to learn to play the game and be the best, you know, yeah. not in a sinful not to abuse or, the system not to abuse it yeah. but to be the best and yeah. how to get there and not cheat the system but some of the things that i know fr since i've had the luxury of knowing you before yeah because um, you've known me since you were 18 yeah and then you know we each got married we went our separate ways and then we came back together the luxury of knowing you before and knowing you now is you did um feel like you had something to prove to people, yeah. you know, because you had a hole and you really didn't know where you were going to be fitting in the world. I think some of the times you were manipulative at that age Very. Um, to figure out how to do things because you wanted people to view you in a certain sense too. It, it, yeah. And I tried to, you know, what I did, and that's really a good observation from your standpoint of me. And I tried to do things in a way that I felt was morally correct. I tried to really twist it in a sick mm -hmm. way. Because you're a good salesperson. Because I am a good salesperson. You yes, are. Because I felt like I had to be, right? Yeah. I was constantly not just selling everybody, selling myself. Yes. And I tried to do things that I felt was in a morally way. So if I was, you know, going out and being a ladies man, I would be upfront and honest with these girls. And that's... That's okay, not that morally it. correct. Right. That was my way of selling it to myself right. so I could sleep at night. But it was still slowly destroying me because yes. that's not how God's designed me, nor anybody. I mean, yeah. you know, and I really got myself. And so I was really digging my own grave for so many years, thinking that I was putting myself up higher on a mountain when in all reality, I was just digging myself deeper. Yeah. And I needed more alcohol and more alcohol and more alcohol until finally I was living in a trailer by myself. You know, mm. uh, lonely drinking every single day. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to be around people anymore. So, I mean, for me knowing you, what changed was not even so much the alcohol. The alcohol allowed you to feel better about it. But you had to become confident in the person that God has made Josh be. Yeah. And that you're enough, you know, type yeah. of thing. You're smart enough. You're good looking enough. You're all of these things. So... I have noticed that in you just in the time that you and I have been here. My identity had to shift. Yes. I had my so identity in all the wrong things. That leads into you decided to get sober. Yeah. Which 33. Yeah. He got sober. He was sober before him and I met. He was actually a year and a half sober when him and I got together and I was the alcoholic. <laughs> you lush. So, I know. <laughs> so what made you choose that path you know you were you it's i speaking from an alcoholic yeah it's fun yes. partying's yes. fun yes um it is so much fun you lose all care about any you know anxiety or anything that you have going yes. on yes it pleases my flesh yes so what made you choose the path of sobriety and how did it change your life so I believe that everybody has a rock bottom. I really believe that. Now, I everybody's think is different. everybody's is different and yeah. you literally can choose your rock bottom at any point, right? So sometimes you feel like rock bottom isn't a choice. And I feel like, you know, my mom was a major 
proponent when it came to my sobriety. And my mom is amazing because what she did is she lived with an alcoholic for so many years that she understood alcoholism to the highest degree. And she got highly involved in Al-Anon, you know, which is like the codependent or spousal portion of AA. And so she understood what it was to, to be with an alcoholic in a healthier way. And so with her son being an alcoholic, she knew that not just calling me up and telling me I have a problem and I need to get help. She knew that was the wrong thing to do. Mm -hmm. So what my mom did, my mom would come over to the trailer that I was living at the time and she would post up these motivations quotes I still have them mm -hmm. and she would post them up all over the all over all of the walls right mm -hmm. and she would do it when I wasn't home and I would come home and I would read them and it would be things like you know fall down six get up seven mm -hmm. you know one day at a time you know these inspirational things I mean you put one day at a time above my toilet which my mom did right and you're drinking 30 beers a night like you're in the bathroom a lot I'm reading yeah. this thing a lot yeah and I'm trying to ignore it and I'm mm -hmm. trying to ignore it. And I know it's speaking to me, right? And I feel like God at the time, you know, I was I was always a believer. I was a believer in Jesus for a long time, but I never was a follower. And I believe that Jesus was really working through my mom and speaking into my heart. And I've become started to become very convicted about like, I have got to stop this. But I knew that I I felt like I couldn't stop it. Mm -hmm. Until one day, you know, I I I woke up and um I was so broken. I, I didn't think I thought this is it. There's, there is no tomorrow. Like this is the end of the road. There is no other road. Mm -hmm. And I lay there on the floor and I remember just like praying to God, which I hardly ever did. And I remember just like, Lord, I just need somebody to come save me. Like I can't do this on my own. And I really felt like God in the moment was like, you know, you just need, you need me is what you need. You need me in your life. You need me to show you how to do it. I need you to get up. I need you to call your mother. And I did. I got up and I called my mom and I told my mom, I'm like, mom, I got a, I got a problem and I got to quit. And she started crying. And she's like, Josh, I've been waiting for this phone call for so long. She's like, you need to call your dad. And I'm like, I am not calling my dad. Mm -hmm. I am not calling my dad. And she's like, if there's anybody that understands where you're at today, it's him. And he did. Yeah. And it wasn't compassionate and it wasn't loving and it wasn't caring, but he called, I called him and he's like, well, let's go to a meeting, you know, yeah. and he picked me up and he took me to my first AA meeting and it was the most embarrassing, humbling moment of my life. And, but I've never drank since. Yeah. And that was a moment where I really felt like I didn't have any other choices. Yeah. You know, I, 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 if you ask my mom, I'm like, when I started to recover, my mom was there the whole step of the way she was around me. I quit my job. I quit my friends. I changed my phone. I stopped answering my door. Like I had to quit everything. And my mom would come over three or four days a week and pick me up. We would drive around. We go garage sailing, you know, we'd buy a, I'd get myself mm -hmm. a coffee and we would go. And I would just sob about how like, I'm never going to be funny. Nobody's ever going to want me. Like I am nothing without alcohol. And I really had to grow through that. Mm -hmm. And, and then, and then God let Facebook alert me one day <laughs> and it was you and you reached out to me, you know, and by that time I, I had some sobriety under my belt, you know, a little over a year of sobriety under my belt. And I started to feel a lot more confident. I started reading. I never read before, never read a book before. And, uh, you know, I really felt like, um, you know, God was really working in my life, but I didn't understand what it meant to have a relationship with him. But, um, I knew when you reached out to me, I really felt like it was a major turning point. Like there is a life beyond this. Mm -hmm. You know, I really felt that. So what a lot of people don't know is that when you were drinking, though, part of the reason that when you were ready to quit is that um, when you were praying to God, like you, I just need somebody to come save me. One of those things was because 
you in your sickness, you would sit by yourself and drink beer and watch the show Intervention. I would. Correct? Yeah. And you would and see. Cry. And cry. And you would see like all these families that would be doing this intervention for someone. Yeah. And what, like, secretly want that? I wanted that to happen because I knew I couldn't quit on my own. I needed somebody, right? And so then, when you finally hit your rock bottom, yeah, you know, God worked through it. And I can say, like, when you and I got together, um, you were a year and a half sober. You were extremely healthy yeah. mentally as a person. Yeah, you had worked the steps. You were very confident in where you were going in your life, what you were going to be doing. You had so much clarity. It was. I found purpose. Yes. Outside of alcohol. Yeah. And outside of womanizing and doing all these things that I thought was my identity. Yeah. Because I completely cut everything off. Yeah. I mean, I stopped chewing tobacco. Yeah. Which I know is gross. It is. But it is gross. But I stopped everything. Yeah. And I'm like, if if I'm going to be a boring person from the next 40 years of my life, I'm going to mm -hmm. do it completely clean and sober and away from all the things that I felt were really bad for me. Mm -hmm. You know, so those of you listening, though, know Josh really became confident in where he was going in life, what he needed to do and uh, trusted, trusted the process, you know, and what he needed mm -hmm. to be doing. So after you got sober, obviously, you and I started seeing each other. Um, you then started going to church. So what led you to that decision and how has it helped you grow as a person and in your family life? Well, let's be honest. Uh, you led me to church. <laughs> so we always say to everybody all the time, we laugh, we laugh about it. We say that I led Christy to sobriety and she led me to church. Mm -hmm. God and works in literally like <laughs> it was God, like seriously, God knew I needed to get sober mm. and he was a year and a half sober and God knew that he had been crying out to to him mm. um, for how to get there. And it's just and amazing. I, we needed each other for yeah. this journey. Yeah. And there's so much power in that. You know, I think it's so easy to look at our lives and think, you know, divorce and, you know, all the brokenness that comes from it. And don't get us wrong. Divorce is horrible. And our marriage is wonderful and great. And our kids are great. But we have a lot of junk we have to deal with because of that. Yeah. You know, God does not support divorce. But oh. um, there is a new life beyond divorce. Like and he was already divorced. I was already divorced. Yeah, we were already you know? divorced. So like it's, there is I was separated. Okay, don't want to start with lies. There, but, there, but, but there is a new life beyond that. Yeah. You know, and there is life and purpose beyond that. But when, when you, when you, first said we need to start going to church i'm like i'm not doing that right i'm i don't want any i don't that's not for me that's not my thing right you know i'll catch on fire if i get in that building like you know and but something that was really heavy on your heart and if you everyone goes back and watches christy's episode from last week something that god was really laying on her heart was go back to church but not give up drinking right she ain't about to do that and so it was just such a god works in such amazing ways he brought us together for each other. Mm -hmm. And I really believe like I'm the big winner in this. I understand she got sobriety out of it, but I understood what it means to have a relationship with Christ. And I think that is the most amazing things we can have. And, I, and I'm able to become a leader and a father and a husband that my children and my church and, you know, my wife deserve and need today because of this. But leading me to church, you know, my wife was so humble that she went to her grandma and said, Grandma, you know, my, my boyfriend, Josh, you know, really, you know, want to go back to church and stuff, you know, um, where should we go to church? And she's like, well, you should go to church where he wants to go. Well, the only church that I knew to go to was a church that my kids were going to every other week. And that was with their, my ex-wife's mother. And I'm like, that, let's just go there. And my 
awesome, awesome wife, girlfriend then was like, okay, if that's what's going to get him to go, mm-hmm. she made that commitment to do that. And it was ugly. It got ugly at this church, friends. Let me tell you, it got disgusting. And she did this, you know, and so Christy was such an amazing spiritual leader in the beginning to me that I needed, that I didn't know that I needed. But it moved the needle into direction, into the right direction to where I was able to pick up the ball and start running with it. I became a youth leader at this church. You know, I started taking some responsibility on. We left that church because it became really a toxic problem for us, but we didn't stop. We found another church, which is where we ended up at Emmanuel, where we've been for almost 10 years now. Mm-hmm. And I put up with a lot when him and I got You put together. up with all of not, a lot. Not joking around, but I got beat up a lot quietly that a lot of people don't know. I mean, I got seriously like, just, horrible things said to you yeah horrible things and, done to you like yeah rotten and god really just worked it all out to know like my whole life i had been praying why don't you just send somebody that shows me that they'll love me unconditionally and who would have thought only god right that it would have been a person that wasn't even going to church at the time or have a relationship with him but god knew yeah right god knew his heart. God knew where he would be at. God mm. knew the type of leader he was going to be. So it just shows like we are so ignorant to the things that God can do. Because if I would have picked out any guy in a lineup to say, okay, God, that's the person that's going to be the great Christian leader to show me spiritual wisdom, it wouldn't have been Josh. No. Right. And now God knew though what was going to be happening. And God knew that we both had to withstand tests, you know, to go you through. You had to sacrifice. Yeah. For me. Yeah. And you I'm, know, I'm did. like, and a lot of people don't know about that. And I don't like to talk about it too much because I think it would actually ruin the testimony of our marriage, but I, not our marriage, but like the testimony of our family and how we blended. And I don't want people to really know about all the nasty stuff. I don't, that, I, I think it's, um, I think it's necessary. I mean, this isn't time or place. But no, people would un- understand me a little bit more too. If they understand all this stuff. It was rough, but it was, it led us to the, where we needed to be. God knew what was going on. And we, and you, especially in that situation, didn't put God in a box and say, okay, God, no, if that's where I have to go, that we can go someplace else. You just didn't do that. And that gave an opportunity, a window for me to become your husband, mm-hmm. which I was bucking that too, mm-hmm. right? I'm not my. Yeah. I got married and it was horrible. I'm not doing that again. To Christie's like turn off love songs, turn off marriage songs, and listen to that stuff because she was being convicted. We're living in sin as girlfriend, a boyfriend, mm-hmm. you know all the things, right? And uh, God got a hold of my heart and said, "No, Josh, like you need to you need to do the right thing here." And and everything led up to the right to his perfect timing, you know. Yeah. And it led to us have an amazing wedding. To mm-hmm. you know where we're long road short and i get it you like to deflect a lot so i get that you're deflecting a lot to me to where you know i had to go through a lot of stuff and all that but you had to submit a lot to god right you had to submit to um be willing to go to a church and then when that was falling apart you were brave enough to say let's start looking for other churches you were spiritually mature at that point to know that we needed God, we needed the community that God has, you know, said in his word, not to give up meeting together, gathering together. Yeah. You went around, you picked the church that we were that we're currently going to. So you really stepped up to the plate, stepped stepped up to God's calling and rose to the occasion to be the leader of the home that God was calling you to be. And I get that you he does like to deflect a lot. And that's the awesome thing about my husband. Um that's why he's my husband. But um, it is on you did 
you led the home, like you led the family, you know? Yeah. I felt spiritually, spiritually confident enough to lead in that way. Yeah. I wasn't fear. One thing about me that, uh, that God has really given me after my sobriety is I don't live in fear of things anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, like, uh, I'll pursue until he tells me no, mm -hmm. you know? And I mean, I'm, I think we're really good about praying off things and, and talking them through, but, mm -hmm. um, not afraid to get our feet wet and jump in either. And, I didn't want to go to a big church. And when we went to a big church and I felt like it was the right church, I said, this is the church. Mm -hmm. This is the church, you know? And then we got involved. Whether I didn't want to, I did not want to, but I did because I knew that was the right thing to do. And and I lead it by example. I ended up going back to school, get my bachelor's degree, not because I needed the degree, but because I need to make sure that I'm leading by example for my children and following through with the things and my commitments. And So how do you feel like us going back to church and you becoming more of a spiritual leader in the home has helped our family, especially a blended family, blend? I think that uh, with that, it, it gave me something that I center my life around. Mm -hmm. And it offered now our family to be centered around. Now, we can't control all of our kids, right? And I think that's a big part of blended families is we want to be able to say, you know, we're the perfect family that we all go to church every Sunday. We weren't. We pushed hard mm -hmm. for those things to happen, but we also have exes that pushed against that for us. Mm -hmm. But what, we, what I learned over the time is that as long as I keep Christ at the center of me, and push to keep Christ at the center of our marriage and our family, that that is the the thing that drives us forward. Yeah. My children know what I care about. You know what I care about. You know what what makes the difference of my decisions that I'm going to make. You know that, you know, uh, I, I have a moral code that I live by that I could be held accountable to that moral code because of what I believe in, because Jesus is my moral code. And I can confidently lead my family that way, not because of how I feel, but because of what I believe. And my faith and my belief in my community helps encourage that and support it. Okay, which is fair. So on your all of your past experiences, even before you came a Christian, how do you feel like it shaped you into the man, husband, father, and leader you are now? All of it in totality. I think... I think that being broken and lost has been one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me. Mm -hmm. I think that tragedy is a gift. Mm -hmm. If we can, if we can find Jesus through our tragedy, we have one of the greatest gifts of all time. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm very empathetic. Uh, I'm very good at meeting people where they are because I have such an understanding of where people are from the bottom. Mm -hmm. And I know what is possible if they're willing to put their life and their hope in what Jesus can do and not put him in a box and, and limit to what he's possible of doing. I think mm -hmm. all the experiences, right? The lack of male leadership. I know what, how important male leadership is for our boys mm -hmm. and for our daughter, mm -hmm. you know, and for you. You know, I understand the importance in that. I understand the importance of uh, not subjecting yourself or putting yourself in a position to fall victim to sin, mm -hmm. to understand that, to respect it to honor that. I know that I'm not stronger than alcohol, that alcohol is stronger than me. And I don't try to be prideful over those things. I know, and I respect those and I can, and I'm able to lead my family in community. I mean, I, I you know, God's uh, given me a, a blessing to be able to lead celebrate recovery at our church for the last six years. Mm -hmm. And I have an opportunity to show men what, what a real man looks like. It's not about height and strength and um, you know, it's not about the things that the world thinks is important that makes a strong man. It's about humility and vulnerability and um 
in, in confidence and integrity and character and being willing to be strong in those areas mm-hmm. and not living in fear, but living in faith out of that. And I think um, one of the moments that you've shared with me that was a watershed moment in your life is when you were shot. So it's you said, you know, you were really shy. You really didn't go out of your way to try out for things and be mm-hmm. doing those things. And Jesus helped you find Josh, the real Josh. But I do believe back then at 15, you really came out of being shot a different person and having a newfound respect for life. And you went out for track and you tried track. I'm really disappointed on you with how, how much you skipped over that story. That's a lot of story. It's a huge, huge part of of who you are. Huge part. It is. It is. I know I went, you know, I, I, God healed me from that. And a friend of mine bugged me about going out for track and cross country. And Mm -hmm. I said, okay. And I never would have said, okay. Mm -hmm. And I did. And, um, became a record setter in a couple events and God healed me in ways and taught me how important teamwork is and competitive nature is, can be healthy and understanding what, uh, victory, what takes to be victorious in things. And it means you have to be willing to step outside yourself. And I was never willing to do that before. And God, uh, you know, really gave me a gift in showing me that, you know, death can happen at any second. You know, we're not promised tomorrow. The Bible talks about it, you know, today's the day of redemption. And, and if we're not willing to follow and listen to what God's trying to do in our heart today, he doesn't promise us that there's a tomorrow. And, you know, he brought me through so much and so many times and so many things. We sit and laugh about it all the time, about all Mm -hmm. the stupid, foolish things we've done. And we don't deserve all of these chances, you know, but God just seems to keep me around and, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm grateful for it. Yeah. And I do think um, a little part that we didn't hit on very much either is that Josh was saying, you know, that there was a hole in his heart that only God could fill. So through his 20s, and many of you are out there, were like that or still like that. We've all been there to where he was trying to fill that hole with women, alcohol, partying, Mm -hmm. friends. And it's never enough. And it will never be enough. It's never enough. Until you um, figure out that it's Jesus that can fill that hole. So lastly, what's your top piece of advice for guys out there that's struggling to find themselves and build strong relationships? The, probably the best thing I've ever learned in the last 47 years of my life is the power of vulnerability as a man. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to cry. Mm-hmm. If it's showing your feelings and your emotions in a powerful way. Do not be afraid or run away from the things that you struggle with. Mm -hmm. Be open, be vulnerable, and be honest about them. Failure isn't, falling isn't failure. Falling is just falling down. And being vulnerable is what helps you get back up. And so, guys, you want to be a better father. You want to be a better husband. You want to be a better leader. Be open and honest and 100% vulnerable at all times. One of the things that I do that is super silly, but I seem to always do it, is when we go to weddings and I go, we go to wedding receptions and we're sitting there and then the alcohol starts to come to the table. I get super uncomfortable. It's like I always seem to talk about I'm, in, you know, I'm a recovering alcoholic. And I do those things because that vulnerability keeps me grounded in who I am. I don't get lost up in impressing other people, which, you know, a big part of what I didn't even talk about is for the last 14 years, I've been a stay-at-home dad. And that's been a struggle for me, but it's been a good thing for me. And so being vulnerable through all of this is really what's helped me grow and continues to help me grow uh, in all aspects of my life. That's probably my greatest piece of advice. 
vulnerability. Good. Because men are afraid of that. They are. They are afraid to be humble. Well, not based. They're afraid to be humiliated. We is, all are. Yeah. Yeah. Is the thing. Scroll down really quick to see if we have any other comments on there because I can't see them. Hmm. That's sweet. Oh, good. Thank you, guys. Thank you for your kind words. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. It's cool. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Super kind, guys. Yeah, yeah. God has been amazing in, in our lives. And mm -hmm. I we have so much more. And God has so much more that he's doing in our lives. I mean, our children, we have amazing children and we shouldn't. <sighs> I mean, right. they should be destroyed and they're not. Yeah. You should be destroyed and you're not. I should be destroyed and I'm not. And our marriage, somebody told us a long time ago, years ago, it said that if you look at you guys' track record and of your you, life, of your lives, uh, you know, you guys don't, your, your marriage shouldn't work, right? It mm -hmm. shouldn't work. And, uh, you know, I, I want to, I like bragging was, about our marriage. What she was saying was she heard Josh's testimony of growing up and everything he went through and what the, what he was when he was younger and my testimony growing up and what he went through. And then what we had to go through together with our exes and our kids and everything and else. And yeah. And she, when, the, and our exes, when we were together, yeah. like when we got together, how yeah. just all the, and she's like, your marriage should not work. And we're like, it's just God. It's not just God. It's, but that is, that's the key, that's the, you that's know, it. element. It's the keystone. So it's, it's very important to submit over to God and put him in the center and all of those things. But I'm glad that you shared your testimony with everybody. Yeah. I appreciate Thank you doing you. that and being vulnerable. It's hard to do. I know. It's always hard to do, but it's important that the way that God, I think, lives through all of us, well, I know the way that God lives through all of us is through our stories. That's why the Bible's so powerful. Mm -hmm. We get to hear what everybody goes through, but we get to read the end of the story, you know, mm. and it's it's amazing. We have amazing friends, you know. We have circled ourselves in the last 13 years of us being together, you know, with some amazing people, and we get to grow with these people. Amazing people. Yeah. They're not toxic like we're used to in our past, and you know, we're not constantly trying to be somebody we're not supposed to be. And I'm just blessed would, and honored for that. What would you say, though, too, before we wrap up then, what would you say? Because when I when I started wanting to go to church and all this stuff, and this is good. This is actually, I have a light bulb that just went on over my head because I think this is good. I want to know the answer to this, too. So me starting to go to church, there was, my dad was going to church. My dad, if you've heard my testimony, was going to college to be a preacher. And then he got in a car accident, broke his neck, and that's when he found alcohol, yada, yada, yada. So, and my mom's whole side of the family all went to church. So me wanting, even though I went away from church, wanting to come back to church, that was like a normal thing for me and my family members. It made sense to them. Sure. Right. So a lot of people in your family, I don't know of any actually. Yeah. That um, attend church. That attend church. Unless I, I'm not thinking. No, of no, no. You're right. But no one in your family attends church that mm -hmm. I know of. And so how is that when you are an adult and you decide to make that decision to start going to church? How does that make you feel? Come, You know, because you're going against the grain of how you've been raised. I mean, you get conflicted to a certain degree, right? And you have to, I have to grow through that. Okay. Right. I feel like an outsider to a certain degree. My mom and I are very open and honest with each other and talk. So my mom and I are 
connect well on that. Like okay. I can I can openly talk with her, but I don't feel like I connect well with some of my other siblings or my dad and I aren't we aren't ones to sit and talk, right? We don't have that relationship. And then I really have nothing to much to do with any of my other family. But I I, I saw it when I first sobered up that I needed to make a hard division in the way that I live my life. And like you said, I didn't grow up in church. And so what really felt, I felt a draw. Like I really felt like the Holy Spirit was pulling me towards that direction. I really did feel an empty space that was void that I needed to lean into. And you know how I am. When I make up my mind, it's something that I want to do. The no people around me become noise and I, yeah. I don't allow things to influence yeah. me in a negative way. Like I felt like this was the right thing to do and I did it. And, you know, I took, and I still do get pushback on it, you know, about church community, about how that's, you know, your real family now. And uh, it, I think it's highly misunderstood, but. So uh, what would you say to other, because this, like what's your top piece of advice for guys out there struggling to find themselves? You know, men are supposed to be leaders of their home. And if a guy is in your situation and let's just say even his own wife and stuff isn't going to yeah. church, his whole family, he's not used to going to church and he decides he wants to start going to church, what would you say to them? Vulnerability. You, you still even feel like a little bit like you're an outsider of your family. Sure. Because of- I am different. We are to be in the world, but not of it. Correct. You know? It, my advice is the same. It's vulnerability. Okay. You got to be vulnerable. You got to be willing to go to church. You got to be willing to take the step. That's hard. Nobody's saying it's not hard. Yeah. You know, I remember stand, I remember standing in our church, you know, and I, I know he's not going to mind, so I'm going to call him out. But <gasps> I, remember, I remember standing in our church a couple years ago and Doug came into the church by himself looking for a new church. Oh, Doug Lindstrom. Yeah, Doug Lindstrom look, looking for a new church, our friend of ours. And he come in, he's looking for a new church. He was by himself. And that was, I was impressed by that. Yeah, but he wasn't planning on seeing so many people no, he knew. But he still, <laughs> right, and he was wide-eyed, right? Oh man, I didn't realize see anybody. You know, but he still did it. Yeah. And that to me, that's vulnerability at its finest. That's a guy that says, this is important to me. And I know that it's uncomfortable and I know that it's awkward, but I'm going to push and I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. And guys, we the statistics are there, right? The, the church statistics are there that if if the, the head of the household, the man, if the man goes to church, right? Mm -hmm. Whether you're married, not married, living in with a girlfriend, children, however, if the man goes, 80% of the family will end up attending church. But if the woman goes there's like a 20% chance mm -hmm. that the man will go to church. And yes, men have to be more vulnerable and willing to say, I need to grow up. I mm. need I need to, to show my family. I need to leave legacy on this planet. But for you, it was difficult. And you, it, know, and you did have an it internal... It still is difficult to some degree. Yeah, and you have an internal struggle that you have to of go course. with yes. and all of those things. Yes, of course. So the people out there that are dealing with those things, what our whole goal is and it should be your goal too when you're giving your testimony is the things that we feel it's normal things that's why moms connect so well with other moms when they are like especially new moms when they're like i really feel like i just need a break from my kid and it makes me feel like i'm an awful mother like i want them to go away from me for a couple of days so i can be left alone mm -hmm. and then you they need other moms that have been there been through it like oh honey that is normal right like that that's normal to feel that way you're human you need a break and that's the whole point of this right is sharing our testimonies to let people know i think that was a, a really good observation which i've never actually even thought before that him there's no one in his family that attends church to me me going to church yeah i'd fall away from church but going back to church everyone on both sides of my family 
Go to church. All went to church. Yeah. You know, so it wasn't like a weird idea for me to want to do that. So if you are and then you struggle with, hey, I'm going to be leaving, you know, my family behind. It's going to be weird for them, which we have a personal friend that went through the same thing, Sarah. Yeah. You know, yep. and it's yeah. an internal conflict that you're constantly dealing with at that point because the world tells you that you shouldn't do that. But God says you should put him above all else. No, right. So there's nothing more I would want. And you know this than for my family to just come to our church. Yeah. I would yeah. love, I want that. I, wa- huh. I desire that so much because being able to just go, I will see all these generational Christians at our church and they yeah, walk jealous. in. I'm jealous. It's super jealous, right? Yeah. Like you get to see like, oh, you know, you see your mom every week and your dad and your cousins and, yeah. you know, all, you know, whatever, like all your brothers and sisters. Yeah. And, and we, I don't get that. You don't get that. No. You know, we don't get that. And, uh, but it has to start somewhere. Yeah. So and that's how starting. I see it. We're starting. We're starting it. Yeah. You know, we're starting it. We're pushing in that direction. And and not everyone is going to understand. And I think that's important that we understand that. Men understand your friends aren't going to get it. Nobody's going to get it, right? You don't get it. Uh, I didn't get it in the beginning, but I felt a pull and I'm a risk taker. And I'm like, okay, I, I know what I don't want anymore. And, and I feel like this is the right thing to do and this is the right direction. And I'm going to put all my chips in on this direction. And it has been the greatest decision I've ever made in my whole life. Mm-hmm. My whole life. Yeah. Even above sobriety. Sobriety got me clear-minded mm-hmm. because alcohol never was really my problem. Right. I was. Yeah. And when I became sober-minded and you and I started attending church, things started becoming very clear to me. Mm-hmm. Very clear. Yeah. And Jesus is more important than us. You know, and that's mm-hmm. what people have to understand. That's how important yeah. he is. You know, Josh and I just watched Passion of the Christ again the other day. And yeah. I just sob and sob and sob through that movie and just say, I'm so sorry, Jesus. I'm so sorry, Jesus. I'm so sorry. Just because we, if it was here and now, the outcome would have ended no different. You know, we yeah. would have crucified and sacrificed and um, did that to an innocent man. It's just our prideful, sinful nature. So I appreciate you sharing your testimony and coming on and giving it to everybody. I know it's hard um, to do and be vulnerable and cry. So I just want you to wrap it up for everybody. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for everybody that's here. Thank you so much for your kind words. Listen, if you're struggling with any form of addiction, please reach out to us. Please let us know. You'd be surprised how many resources we have, how well we can connect. If you're a stay-at-home dad, I've had so many guys reach out to me because they struggle. Reach out to me, please. Hit us up on Facebook. Let us know. We want to support. We understand. If you're Mm -hmm. a stepdad and you're struggling, reach out. We want to help. We want to encourage. That's the goal of this. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, God wants to and needs to work through us. And so if anything today is resonated and you're looking and you're struggling and you want uh, some type of friend or somebody to talk to about this, please, please reach out and let us know. Who, who wrote that comment that down there? Let me see here. Amanda Rice. Yeah. Sooner said sometimes jealous because everyone wants the amazing connection and love that I can relate to. Scott and I get a lot of hate and outbursts of anger from family over church and family versus actual family all the time. We understand all the time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for your yeah. kind words. Appreciate you. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, we have yeah. some uh, new stuff coming up here pretty soon. We're going to have blend people, couples that are part of Blended Families come on and share their testimonies, share how their life's going, whether it's good or bad. I mean, I think it's important that we hear from that. So look forward to that coming in the near 
future. If you're looking for inf for more information from us or anything else, you can either reach us on Facebook or you can go to our website, joshandchristy.com. Amen. Else? No. Okay. All right. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you next Tuesday, 7 p.m. Bye.